We're back to the Neil Haley Show and also the Media Giant Effect. And I'm excited to have as my co-host, I'm looking forward to doing more of this Dr. Charles Simkovich of Simkovich Concussion Institute. Dr. Charles, now you're not being interviewed, you're co-host with me. How are you today? Yeah, that's that's fun to switch roles a little bit. Yes, yes. And I am so excited to bring awareness to organizations that are doing such great work. And I'm excited to have the the founder and executive director, Vaso Palioris, on the show. She is the founder and executive director of Lending Hearts. How are you, Vaso? Thanks for stopping by. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Let's talk about how this whole thing started. Uh, and, and we're going to get to Dr. Charles a little bit about how he's helping sponsor the event as one of the sponsors. But let's learn about this growth and this amazing story. Thank you. Uh, in uh, 2004, my younger sister was diagnosed with stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, I have about 10 and a half years older than her. So I was kind of always that second mom, big sister to her. Uh, so when she was diagnosed at the age, uh, she had just turned 17. She was a junior in high school. So I really stepped in and taking care of her uh, medical needs because it was a very trying time for our family. Uh, at that time, my husband and I had a baby and I was pregnant with our second and uh, kind of just uh, immersed myself in her care. And we were sitting in the waiting room for our first appointment with the oncologist. And it was really in that moment and in that space that um, the name of the organization came to me, the whole concept for it, because I was looking around to others in the waiting room. And I knew that we were really blessed with a, a, a big family that was there for us. But I looked around and I saw so many people sitting there by themselves. And I kept thinking, I just want to lend my heart to them. Or are they okay? What are they in need of? And, and that's really how the concept started, but uh, nothing really, uh, I didn't take any steps with it until 2011. And here we are now. It's It's been quite an impressive and um, truly amazing journey along the way. Well, it definitely is. And it's it's a challenge to do to have any foundation and to start it. So there were a lot of growing pains, I'm sure, at the beginning. Coming up with the idea is fantastic. But then the work and all the people that volunteer their time and putting it all together to get these events that you're doing with Lending Hearts, we're going to talk about today as well on the show. It's a process, right? It's not easy. No, uh, when I I actually had always kept in touch with my sister's oncologist. And when I I went to him to see if the idea was even a, a valid one. I didn't know if anything existed. And I, I just knew that there was no need for duplications of services. If it was already being done, wonderful. Uh, I'll happily step aside. But if it wasn't, was it something that could uh, be used and beneficial to folks? And I'll never forget his words. He said, uh, you need to do this and I'll stand behind you. And I, I was dumbfounded. I said, all right, now what? And I, <laughs> I joke, but I, I literally went to Barnes and Noble and bought nonprofits for dummies because um, I'm a chemical engineer by trade. I, I don't know the first thing about starting a nonprofit. So uh, what I did know was that my my knowledge and my scope were only so far and I had to find the others to fill in the gaps for me. And quickly, it, it was really unbelievable. The people who just came together of different strengths and talents and, and brought it all to life. How did you find out awareness on this uh, foundation, Dr. Charles? How did that happen? Uh, it happened through a uh, retired hockey player for the Penguins named Tyler Kennedy. Uh, they're co-sponsoring one of his events, and he's he's on their board also, he and his wife. And he said, listen, this is a good uh, 
charity. We really believe in it and we're behind it 100%. And, and I think it'd be something good if you look into it. And and they're they're unique and everybody we've met. Uh, so we jumped on board and everybody we've met in the organization has has really been wonderful and really uh, caring. There's a lot of uh, organizations that that uh, benefit cancer, but this this is a... Uh, uh, it just stands out. It stood out to my wife and I. So that that's how we got involved through Tyler Kennedy. And Vaso, you're really thinking big. We're talking off air and I will bring up maybe something at the end, but you're thinking big, not just for locally in Pittsburgh where it's growing leaps and bounds. We're going to talk about Cam Hayward and stuff in the event coming up in just a day because we'll be airing on syndication on Thursday night in Pittsburgh. But really how this all started now you're thinking national and it's growing nationally now too isn't it not just locally correct it is it's the the i guess uh to me the only perk of covid uh so that when we took everything digital that's when uh, our services were then to be able to be used by folks in different parts of the country so it was really fascinating to see by them Googling and searching and social media and what have you, that they were able to find us and take part in our services. And that's, that's exciting. And then that's where it starts. The services start is getting the word out and more and more nationally, it's going to happen. So tell us about the big event coming up on Thursday. Thursday, we're very excited. It's our 11th annual gala this year presented by UPMC Home and Cancer Center and Genentech. And we are thrilled to be honoring Pittsburgh Steeler, Mr. Cam Hayward. Um, he truly personifies our mission and what it means to lend your heart. Uh, he's so active in the community and his philanthropy and all the good works that he does for others, um, whether it's children in need, raising awareness and support of cancer. So uh, he is our honoree this year. And I was a big fan of Craig Ironhead Hayward as well. So, you know, when I hear Cam and the name and think of Ironhead always, uh, God rest his soul, because again, such a I'm a huge Pitt fan. So. Wow, you know, it's great to have Cam part of this. And he really is, to, to honor him of the work he does, that's what you're really looking at specifically enough. People that are really doing great work in the community, especially with can, uh, can, bringing cancer awareness and stuff, right? And helping. Correct. We've had wonderful, uh, every year, uh, wonderful honorees, but they, they're each honored for a different reason in, in what they do, whether they've been touched by cancer themselves, the impact they make in the community, different aspects to, to why we select them. Very good. So Dr. Charles is one of the sponsors. So explain what the sponsors do to help so that this event can happen. Our, our, our sponsors are everything to us and more. We, we really appreciate not only the support, but the, uh, the partnership beyond this event. I mean, this event allows us to provide all of the, free services that we do to patients and their families. But we we take each each supporter, each organization, each business as a true partner in the efforts that we do throughout the whole year. So without them, we, we can't do what we do. So tell us more about the gala, what to expect of the gala on Thursday night. Uh, we'll be at the Fairmont Pittsburgh. We will have a full dinner and, and cocktails for everybody. Uh, in addition to honoring Cam, uh, we will have a family speak about their story, their journey, 
uh, on their own and then coming to Lending Hearts. Uh, we're also going to have live entertainment this year by singer, songwriter and recording artist Justin Fabus. So we're very excited to have him included in the evening. Dr. Charles, do you have any? Every family has uh, somebody that touches cancer. My grandmother passed away from cancer and I've had a uh, brother and a sister who have uh, had cancer. Uh, my sister is surviving. And so it's a good organization to get involved because there's so many people that it touches personally. Absolutely. That's fantastic. So let's say if a family is in need and needs your services, how do they reach out, especially nationally? to get help. Mm -hmm. Sure. Our website, lendinghearts.org, uh, right on the homepage shares all of our upcoming services. Uh, they want to sign up. They simply just have to hit the RSVP button, but they can obviously go through the other pages and learn more about us. Uh, we're on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So we are accessible in all means, all of our contact information is on the website, and we do uh, we we do hope folks that will who are in need will reach out. And what is your ultimate goal for the foundation? Where do you want to see it go? I want us to see us do more nationally, uh, both virtually in person. Uh, it just keep the uh, the organization growing strong, so that when they hear the words "lending hearts," they know exactly what it is and what we can do for them. Anything else? Started to go to the gala uh, in two days. Yeah, two days. March 16th, stopping by. And Dr. Charles, where can we find information on you? Where can we go? Uh, SimkovichConcussionInstitute.com. Excellent. I appreciate both of you. It was a great show. And thank you again for helping families that have been hit with cancer. And it's such a such a great service that you're providing. And I, I hope it continues to grow more and more each time. And hopefully through my nationally syndicated show, we'll bring awareness even further to more and more places that don't know who you are yet. And they soon will. So I appreciate it, Vasa. Thank you both. I greatly appreciate this opportunity. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank You're you. listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to The Neil Haley Show and also the media giant effect. And I'm excited to welcome the program, the co-founder of Chip Cookies, Sarah Wilson. Sarah, thanks for stopping by. And let's talk about this entrepreneur journey. How did this start? How did this happen? And coming up with the name, Chip Cookies. So let's first go <laughs> the entrepreneur journey. Yeah, yeah. You know, Chip was born out of pregnancy cravings. I was pregnant with my first child. And my craving was chocolate chip cookies. And, you know, I'd roll over. Typically, these cravings would come around, you know, 11 o'clock, midnight. And I'd roll over to my husband and say, okay, I need a cookie. And, you know, being your first time being pregnant, it felt almost like a medical need. You know, you got to give me some cookies. And so, you know, he found himself late at night running around looking for cookies. And he'd bring me back, you know, store-bought cookies. And it just wasn't. I was like, no, go make me a fresh cookie. I want a warm, gooey, you know, out-of-the-oven cookie. And, you know, we really just saw a gap in the market. This is, you know, eight years ago. There really was nothing like it. And, you know, Uber Eats and all the kind of food delivery wasn't around. And so, you know, he was like, let's, what if we started a cookie company and we have no, you know, culinary background. I'm not a pastry chef and thought this is crazy, but, 
the craving never went away and we decided to test out the idea um in Provo Utah where we thought there was a lot of pregnant women you know my idea was like we need to go after the pregnant women and um you know it's just taken off from there so here we are now you know um we're franchising and growing all over the U.S. so it's really been quite a journey like you said and um really a fun adventure for us so was it first a store a physical store to start? no so we actually we tested the idea in what you'd call now like a ghost kitchen at the time it was we could basically rent by the hour it was this new kitchen we found out about and we were just delivery again the idea was and we were actually meal just open from 8 p.m to 2 a.m like this is when my cravings were right like that's, we just that's really finding a need you really niche down that was exactly the, the yeah market. Yeah. And so now, I mean, we, we started to have lines out of the door of this ghost kitchen because people were like, Hey, I live 45 minutes away. You don't deliver to me. Cause we, we only have a small delivery radius. We want it to be warm and fresh. And so, you know, that really, you know, we're getting lines out of this door, didn't have a point of sale or anything, you know, and thought, okay, it's time to open our first brick and mortar. So pretty quickly on, you know, about four to six months later, we opened up our first, you know, brick and mortar, um, and then have since opened up more stores there's a need still for people to come in and get a cookie and you know so we still of course offer delivery but now you can come into the store and get that kind of store experience as so well offer delivery from eight to two still not two anymore we kept two forever neil and it just was so hard to staff through covid you know like covid kind of changed that but we are open until midnight so most locations are open until midnight, um, which is nice because when everything else is closed, you can come get a warm cookie or we'll deliver it. You don't even have to leave your pajamas. Like to me, it is just a dream. You know, I have always said like every city in America needs this because you don't know you need it until you get it. And you're like, why have I not had warm cookies delivered to my door my whole life? <laughs> warm cookies delivered. Do you have a, do you have a one in Texas? You, we're name? opening in Texas. We're opening in Dallas. Yep. Really? So, I'm in Dallas. So we're, we're yep. going to have that one-on-one -on -one in Dallas when you open up. So you're basically building franchise. So you're, it's your franchises, right? Correct. You're going to, you're franchising. Correct. Yeah. So we, all of our stores currently open are corporate owned. We have 11 locations throughout Utah and Idaho. And we began franchising about a year ago is when we announced franchising. And then, you know, we have tremendous growth throughout all of the U S you know, from Florida to California, we'll have stores opening in the next year and um, just really exciting stuff. You know, it, so much of our business, we ship our cookies nationwide, which is nice, right? You can still get, you know, try our cookie, but we, again, believe in that warm, fresh, you know, experience. And we need, we want the stores all over to provide that experience for our customers. So that experience, basically, you will ship to other places that they can't, man, like, oh, I'm, we can't get to Utah. So we want that cookie now. You're not going to get that warm experience, but just because of your, their homemade type cookies, right? Yes. Natural, because you said none of the other ones, that's what you're craving. Like, I don't want that. I want a. Yeah. So kind of explain how you make it and so on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, for it's made fresh, we use the best ingredients. You know, I love people will always say like, can I have the recipe? And I'm like, you know, that's no, really no, cool to ask me, no. but my advice is just to use great ingredients. I mean, that's really what chip is known for, you know, people that try our cookies, say it's the best cookie they've ever had. And, and we really take a lot of time working on quality consistency and making sure we have the best product out there. And the nice thing is it's such a, like cookies travel so well. So, you know, when we do ship, 
with them. We actually, it's kind of fun. We've been testing out drone delivery. So it's really cool. You know, our, our cookies really travel well. They're big, huge cookies um, and, and stuffed with amazing ingredients. We use the best chocolate out there. And, you know, even when we ship them, we have instructions to warm it up. So you can still get that experience, you know, but, um, we stand by our product. You know, we really believe in, in having a great quality product. And, um, you know, we want you to bite into that cookie and and I love the reaction. You know, that was one of my favorite things in the beginning, Neil is, I, you know, I was a delivery driver. I still sometimes I'm like, they didn't show up, you know, who can drive? And, um, you know, you bring these cookies to people and it, you know, one of our mottos at Chip is delivering happiness and people will scream, you know, they, they open the door and they just scream that they have, they touch the box and they're like, they're warm. And fr-. like, it's just such so an what, amazing What kind experience. of cookies do you have? You're all different types of yeah. cookies? Great question. So yeah. So we have, we called our OG, which is chocolate chip, our signature cookie. Then we have a Biscoff cookie, which is actually my favorite. It's made with like white chocolate chips and, and cookie butter stuffed in the middle. So it just oozes out of it. Amazing. Life-changing. Um, then we do a sugar cookie, which we do a homemade uh, house-made cream cheese frosting. And then we have, we call the SW, which is kind of a salted semi-sweet cookie. And then we rotate a weekly flavor. Um, but you can also, you know, come in and customize your cookie and stuff like that, um, for all of our franchise locations. So lots of fun variety and flavors. And then we have those kind of staples, you know, I mean, the chocolate chip cookie, that's where this all started. No, it seems, it seems like it's like, wow, the chocolate chips cookie and all that. So, but what makes you different from other places like some of the ones that, you know, were branded 10, 20 years ago that have a homemade feel? What makes you different? You know what I'm saying? I won't mention the com- competition, not the way it is. <laughs> but when, you know what I'm talking about. The ones that, yes. are, you know, yeah, that, sure. wow, when I taste that cookie, that's totally different than yes. a store-bought cookie. The, you know what yeah. I'm talking about. What makes you different? What do you think? The sure. variety, the, the experience, what do you think? Yeah. I think it's a number of things. I think one's one is our quality, right? I mean, we just focus so much on quality, even over quantity, you know, we want you to come in, you know, chocolate chips, the most popular cookie. And we focus a lot on our chocolate chip and making sure that we have that, but then we add some variety in there, you know? Um, but really it's the quality and the experience. I mean, we really lean into the experience at chip. We have beautiful storefronts. We want you to come in and have that amazing experience. We're adding some new fun things to our design that are exciting. Like, you know, a little drawer where kids can get a cookie like they are a treat uh, excuse me a toy they can knock on this little drawer and we'll open it and they'll get a little chip toy so again just having a great experience um customer services everything at chip you know we want again that mission to deliver happiness is you know baked throughout our cookies and our customer experience as well so how much of a challenge is the franchise thing you think about the story of mcdonald's and how they were able to go from mm-hmm. one mcdonald's to all those that's the importance that you can keep the same if you visit one the, the signature one and go to each one it's the same quality the same thing how challenging is that for you 
Yeah. It's challenging. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, we have really invested in product quality and consistency um, in our training programs. And, and that's why, you know, we were around for five years before we even announced franchising. And that's because we wanted to spend the time to make sure we had the processes down. We wanted you to be able to go into a, you know, a, a chip in California or in Florida and have that same experience. And so, you know, a lot of it for us too, is finding the right franchisees. You know, we, we've brought on some incredible, incredible people who have great experience and who really understand the brand and wanted to deliver that mission of happiness to customers. So, you know, we've really kind of from the bottom up, it's finding the right franchisees and then having the right systems in place and product quality control. Um, and we're just, you know, feel really in a good position to do that for our customers. Fantastic. Where's the best place people can find information and if they want to so you're opening up for franchise, right? You People can apply yes. for franchises as well. Where can they go? Yeah, you can go to our website, chipcookies.co.co. Um, on there, we have a franchising link. You can also order cookies from there. We have a brand new app, Chip Cookies on the App Store. Um, follow us at Chip Cookies Co. on you know, Instagram, TikTok. There's nothing better than some good you know, cookie photos, right? <laughs> And get people tagged each other, right? On yeah, tag us. Yeah, we'd love that. Follow oh, along the journey. Fantastic. Well, you really appreciate it. It's a great story, Sarah, and thanks for stopping by. Yeah, I appreciate it, Neil. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Every Child Can Learn with our host, Phil Maycomer. Phil, how are you? And uh, it's great to chat with you again. I'm very excited about this episode, Neil, because I'm telling you, this really is going to speak to students from a student. And I am excited to dive into our topic today about leadership and passion. Absolutely. And our question today is, how can students find their passion and increase their motivation to make a difference both in and outside of the classroom? Well, passion is so important in anything we do. It's an important factor in education for sure. You know, it not only drives teachers to teach, but also pushes students to learn and grow. So, we should ask ourselves, what makes passionate people different from everyone else? Well, first of all, I think passionate people are optimistic. They imagine what is possible. And also passionate people figure out what matters to them. And I mean, really matters, what they love, what inspires them and what they want to pursue. Now, in my leadership role, my listeners know I truly believe in teaching students how to find their passion. Our guest in this episode is a high school student. I repeat, high school student from Dover High School in Dover, New Hampshire, who helps his classmates 
find the motivation to explore their passions. He walks the walk. His name is Judah Payer. And I would like to tell you how I met this young man and why he impressed me so much. I met Judah the summer before his senior year. He's currently a senior in high school. When my husband and I were vacationing on the New Hampshire seacoast at the Wentworth by the Sea Resort, Rob and I, my husband Rob, were seated for breakfast when this friendly and engaging young man introduced himself as our wait person for brunch. Now, over the course of our relaxing breakfast, I truly was awestruck by the self-awareness and passion this young man had when speaking of his various experiences so early on in life. First, Judah shared with me that his family struggled financially due to the large size of their family. So this inspired him to grow and it empowered him to do more for himself and also more on his own. As I got to know him, I realized that Judah is a team builder. He plays sports, including basketball and tennis. Judah is very active in his school community, speaking to other students about how to unlock their passion and be leaders. But what most impressed me was his involvement in unified soccer, which involves mentoring people with special needs. In fact, Judah also takes on a leadership role in Special Olympics on Team New Hampshire. He and his dad uh, traveled with Team New Hampshire to Orlando, Florida, to participate in the sporting events and support the athletes with special needs in the USA Games. It was simply awesome. This high school student is grounded in gratitude. In fact, I remember when he said to me that summer morning, I am grateful for all things in my life, Phil. I find motivation within myself to do better and in seeing others achieve successes. As a high school student, Judah Payer has started his own business, stemming from his passion for sports, which he will tell you about in this episode and certainly inspire other high school students to do the same. Welcome to my Every Child Can Learn podcast, Judah. Hi, Phil. It's great to be here today. Well, I'm so excited for our conversation today, not just for you to share your story, but also to inspire others to find their story. And so I think I'd like to start, if it's okay with you, to ask, what do you think are the most important leadership qualities that students need to develop? I think a lot of the student values can vary, but some of the top three that I've come up with, the first one is confidence. I think starting with that is a, it's a great builder for a leader. It absolutely is. And, you know, we, as we know, confidence is a range, right? Like depending on the thing that you need to be confident about, you know, you could be a little feeling like you're at the edge of a cliff with some situations where feeling stronger in others. So I agree. Students do need to build and learn how to build confidence. What That's are some right. of 
Uh, the second one I, I think uh, is self self worth and recognition of other people around you. And I think um, yeah. I think being able to figure out what you're capable of, but also the people around you is very important in uh, in building a team and leading them. Yeah, and that doesn't surprise me that you say that because you are a team builder and you really care about the perspective of others. You know, when I was a kid, my dad would always say to me, you know, honey, you always need to look at things through other people's glasses, you know, using that as an analogy of it's not all about you, right? And so uh, I love the whole self-worth, but also looking at what others can do to contribute. So yep. we have confidence and self-worth and looking at other people's strengths. Is that a good way to summarize That's that? That's right. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I would say that wraps it up perfectly. Now, are there any other leadership qualities or would you like me to move on to another question with you? I think I think that's that's good on those three. I, I think they they definitely encompass a lot of other maybe more specific values, but but those are those are th very good three to start with. So how do you think that students can develop these qualities or how do you help others develop these qualities? I think personally, a way that I try to do this isn't as much of a, it's not as a, like, I'll teach you this and I'll teach you that type of thing. But I think putting yourself in positions where you can display these, these certain characteristics is a good way to do it. So when I, um, like you had mentioned that when I went to the USA games, if uh, someone's struggling with something like an athlete is struggling with a race or whatever it is they might be struggling with, putting myself in the position where I can show them that they can get through it and they can uh, overcome these these difficulties is, is a place where I've found the most success with teaching people that. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm so glad you brought up that specific example of like helping coach others because I'm a big believer that we are all coaches in life. It's just a it just is different on what we coach on, right? Like I teach teachers, I also coach students, but my husband's in the position where he really mentors a lot of college students and high school students, even though he doesn't do that for a living. He does it through the relationships he forms through a common uh, thing that you love, which is basketball. And, you know, it's so important to have that connection because I think that that's what you're talking about, right? Is making connections with people. Definitely. And I, I think there's something you can learn from anyone that you talk to, no matter who it is. Mm -hmm. That's very wise. You know, you made a connection with us last summer when I met you. And, uh, you know, we found common ground of different things to talk about. And, you're right. You can make a connection and find something in common with anyone. And having students realize that is a big part of leadership. You know, a mentor of mine uh, had said to me many, many years ago, Judah, if you want people to follow you, Phil, you need to give them a reason to follow you. And that's what you're talking about building here, right, is giving people a reason to believe what you're saying to them, right? That's right. So 
I guess then I would like to ask you, what has helped you become more self-aware or expand in the area of self-growth? I think something that I try to do a lot is looking into the future, kind of uh, envision myself on what I would be in 10 years type of thing. And wow. that definitely helps me a lot. So what do you envision in 10 years? I'm, I'm compelled think, to ask. <laughs> I, think, I, I don't think I have a necessarily uh, specific person or thing I want to be doing, but I find it helps me make decisions like, um, like I'd mentioned to you when we had first met in the summer, I didn't know if I wanted to do college and or go right away after high school. Yes, and, I remember. Right. And, and so I decided, you know what, I might as well apply places and see what happens because, you know, I, I got to leave those options open. So I applied, still waiting to hear back from a few uh, colleges, but I've gotten into a few and, you know, it just leaves the options open. So I think looking down the road helped me do that because it let me, it let me make the decision now to benefit myself in the future. So. And that's great advice to other high school students, isn't it? is that it's important to have a plan and it's important to be able to give yourself permission to only have so much of a plan, right? Right, yeah, de I mean, definitely. I, everyone always says uh, you never have to make a choice, but then it almost, I feel like at some points it's almost uh, forced upon you to try to make a choice when you're in high school. But I mean, it is it is very early, so. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you're self-aware. You obviously have confidence in yourself and probably continue to grow in confidence, right? You know, it's not like confidence is just this bank account that doesn't grow, right? right. Like, I always say that these types of skills, leadership, passion, motivation, they're like a bank account. You have deposits and then you have withdrawals. Like you're going to face something in life just like we all do that you know, we're going to have a withdrawal of confidence in our bank account because we might be faced with challenges. All students will face that. All adults face that. Um, so how do you find motivation within yourself to just keep going when you hit roadblocks? What, what's your advice to other kids? I think it's something, it's something you have to just kind of find within. You can look into your past. You could look, like I said, into your future people around you but I think at the end of the day it's it's from you and you just kind of have to get up and go do it it's a it's a it's a mindset I'd like to say you know it is a mindset you hear so much in the educational system and from my lens it would be through educational leadership or you know teaching teachers but from your lens, it's as a student, you hear the difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset, right? That's and right. That, that's very common language in education. And I think that that language existed in different words prior to it, those being buzzwords in education right now. You know, I mean, basically, it's about believing anything is possible and never giving up, right? Right, right. I mean, you have to just be able to kind of, like I said, get up and go do it. Something I find myself doing a lot is if I, so right now I'm obviously, I'm a senior, so I'm not enrolled in the full uh, classes every day. So I have like the early releases, late arrivals, things like that. So 
yeah. I go home before my basketball practice and I'm just kind of hanging around my house, but you know, I'll find myself sitting down and I just know like if I sit there for too long and I just become like a blob on the couch, you know, I, I got to get up and go do something and, uh, you know, motivate no matter what it is, whether it's go get a glass of water, uh, like make a sandwich, um, so anything of that nature, you know, it just like gets you going. Do you limit screen time? I, I definitely try to, but I, I do fall victim to being on, on screens a lot, especially with, you know, how everything is moved with schoolwork onto computers. I'll be sure doing all my, all my schoolwork on my computer. And then next thing I know, there's a tab open with a game, you know? <laughs> so it, right. it definitely, it's, it definitely is a struggle in that aspect, but yeah. Yeah. You know, a few years ago, I was the commencement graduation speaker at the high school that I went to school at in Pennsylvania. I was very honored to have been asked to give the commencement speech at graduation. And one of the things that I said to the graduating seniors was that successful people are not smarter or better than anyone else. They simply refuse to give up and are very determined. And I truly believe that, that if we teach our youth that persistence, determination, there's more than one solution to a problem, teaching kids more about how their brains work, their executive functions, how to manage themselves and manage what they need to get done. These are real life skills that will help you identify your passion. So I'd like to move on to passion if we could for this, the last segment here. How did you find your passion? And if you're willing to share what it is. I I honestly feel, I, I don't know if I've found my exact passion quite yet. I think, I think there's uh -huh. a lot of room for me to, to keep growing and expanding what I'm doing, but I think a great way to go find it or find anything that you might be passionate about is going out there and just and looking and searching, trying new things. And it might sound cliche, but you just got to try new things. Yeah, I don't think that sounds cliche at all. I think that uh, trying new things is not as easy as that statement sounds to right. kids Definitely. and adults. Yeah, I think that doing things outside your comfort zone is a withdrawal of confidence from your bank account, right? right. Yeah. I mean, it's like riding a bike the first time, no one's yeah. going to get it right. So. Yeah. Very true. Um, now I had mentioned in your introduction that being able to uh, start a business in high school is pretty impressive. Now, obviously, it was about something that you were passionate about. I had mentioned that you are a team player, that you really enjoy sports. Could you tell us a bit about what you did with that passion? That might not be your lifelong passion, but it certainly is a part of who you are. Right, Judah? Right, right. Uh, in regards to in regards to the business? Yes. Yes. Share about what you created. So originally, I, I can take it back from the beginning here. So I when I started it, it was... Um, it was kind of a thing like you had mentioned earlier with um, financial struggles with the family and things like that. I just 
I wanted, I knew there was like something else out there and I just, I wanted to find it. So tried that new thing. And um, so what I do is I resell shoes and sneakers, things like that. And originally I started on my own and, um, you know, I wanted to kind of expand it and grow that side of the business. So what I tried to do and what I'm still doing currently is bringing in other people and informing them on how they can buy shoes and things like that at a price where it's profitable for them. And then they can come to me and I will sell it for them. And essentially like a little consignment shop type of thing. Yeah. But yeah. So what, and what I'm doing in the pro or what I'm in the process of at the moment is building a community around it where people can come in and they don't even need to go for the shoes or go for be a part of like the money making side of it, but they can come in and just share like interests with people and, you know, be a part of something that's not just, you know, like an in-person sports team. Cause you know, that's not for everyone. So. Right. Right. And you used a term that really speaks to me and you've said it to me many times that I've had conversations with you community and you have shared with me in the past that it's not just about you. It's about building a community of people and being active in your community. And obviously through the work that you've done, just in the example that I gave about Team New Hampshire for Special Olympics, that is participating in your community and at a state level to be able to get involved. And how do you recommend for other kids to get involved like do you speak to them at your school about this i i have spoken a few times so we uh do a thing at our school i'm sure you've talked to teachers that have schools that use it it's a like flex advisory kind of schedule where oh, yeah. they they have so what we do is we have an advisory once a week and then the other four days of the week you'll go to flex where which means you go with teachers and you can uh, study for a test or get homework done, things like that. And I've talked in a few of those before about typically it's to underclassmen, freshmen, maybe sophomores that are um, just kind of stepping into the high school. And um, they they want they want the those kids to hear from me because, of course, I've been through it all. So that is that is some things that I've done talking to them. So possibly a call to action for some high school students would be to put themselves in a comfortable speaking role, whether that's in an advisory, a flex time, or even an after school kind of program, right? Yeah, definitely. And I, we, we do offer programs in the clubs like that at my school. We have um, even today. So we meet once a week with Unified Club and yeah. um, we where uh, it all came all together and we made some signs because senior night for the unified basketball game is tomorrow. So even just getting at things like that, you meet new people, it's trying new things, you know. And it's all about the connection and the community. And right. I truly believe that when connecting with other people, it also helps you find your passion. So my last question for you in the remaining time that we have is what can teachers do to help students be more engaged and help them find their passion? 
I think sharing their own experiences and really connecting with the students are, are the two biggest things they could do. Because I've found that with my teachers and it's helped me a lot. Yeah. I think the more that teachers spend on relationship building with their students, the safer that relationship is and respectful and the connection becomes stronger, right? And they both help each other. Definitely, definitely. I have a close teacher that I started, I think I started taking classes with her my sophomore year. And she's she's an art teacher, so she does the photo classes, ceramics, art, things like that. And I've taken just about every class I can with her. And so I've spent a lot of time around her. And it's just it's helped me. It's it's helped me find a creative side to everything that I'm doing. It helps me just kind of like bounce ideas off someone. And it may it really makes me want to try in the classes that I'm in, especially mm-hmm. hers, you know. If you have the connection, I think it gives the student more of a more of a reason to be there, I think, as well. Uh, yes, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Judah, it has been a true pleasure getting to know you even better than I feel I had at the start of the podcast, but also just respecting you doing things that not necessarily all students are doing out of the box, making connections and not being idle and just waiting for life to happen. You're bringing it to life and you're doing that through connection and community. And I could see why you are going to be very successful in whatever you do. Uh, And again, whatever path you choose that will be right for you. Now, In the event that anyone wanted to get in touch with you, would you like to share some contact information? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Perfect way to reach out to me would be my email. That is judahpayer20 at gmail.com. Judah, J-U-D-A-H, payer, P-A-Y-E-U-R, the number 20, and then at gmail.com. Judah, thank you. Neil, what? I mean, I just I can't. I mean, I've taught so many high school kids, and I've never seen the maturity level of someone that's, you know, really impressive, and how he knows where he's going and what he's doing. And I see why Phil, you asked him to join today. I mean, just the character he has, the ability to be grounded, his maturity is beyond words, in my opinion. And uh, Judah, you just did a tremendous job of explaining the amazing work you're doing and your entrepreneur ventures as well. So, wow, a lot of interesting things you're doing. Thank you very much, Neil. I appreciate that. So, um, yes. Yeah. Amazing, right? Yeah. It's great interview, Judah. And, you know, I would look forward to a couple years out having you back on the podcast and see where you're at. (laughs) Right. That would be awesome. Yes. All right. So every child can learn. You can find out more about my work at aboutthepact.com. That's about A B O U T, the T H E, pact, P A C T dot com. And if you haven't listened to previous episodes of Every Child Can Learn, you can do so wherever you listen to your podcast. Neil, would you like to say the formats that we are? Uh, 
Oh, oh yeah, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the different places, and my nationally syndicated radio show, 150 plus stations. Uh, people can check it out, Trust Your Radio, and all that. So people will have get the, every month get a segment of this show played, and sometimes we play it twice on my radio station as well. So I mean, radio network. So it's it's great information that we provide and keep that education piece going on my network and keep it going with a great podcast like Phil's been doing and how many episodes you've done. Tremendous job. Well, thank you, Neil. I look forward to next time. All right. That was Every Child Can Learn, guys. Take care. And welcome to Women CEO and Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get candid. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones. Today's guest is Sue Ann Hong. She's the president and CEO of the Center for Asian Pacific American Women. Prior to joining the organization in 2018, Sue Ann's career spanned over 28 years at State Farm Insurance Companies in areas of data processing, data inclusion, corporate business and technology portfolio management, and PNC auto claims. She has led teams of up to 600 employees in multiple locations managed 1,000 contract employees, and supported customers and State Farm agents in 23 states. Uh, welcome to the show, Sue Ann. Thank you so much, Marisa, for the invitation. I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm so excited to hear about the organization. Um, and, you know, basically, why don't you talk a little bit about your career and, and how it led you to the Center for Asian Pacific American Women um, you know, what drove you to, to, to accept that position and follow that organization? Um, that's a great question. And of course, you know, the path is always uh, never a straight line, right, from point A to B. But first of all, you know, I'm an immigrant from South Korea. I came to the U.S. when I was eight years old. So I was adopted by my aunt who was getting her master's and Ph.D. at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and she was hired as a professor in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, if you can imagine. So going from South Korea, Seoul, South Korea, to all the way to the Upper Peninsula, it really shaped me early on about acculturation, trying to fit in, um, trying to make sure that I understand the environment, how to navigate. All those things really made an impression on me early on. And what I found is that through school, and through even my corporate career, those very, very similar feelings when I was little kind of followed me around all my career. You know, I was one of several Asian American women in the space of auto claims, which is very male dominated space. And so, you know, understanding how to navigate through that was huge. 
and also the political environment. As you know, you worked in corporate, Marisa. You know, you have to understand the political landscape, right? Yes. And so absolutely. those are the those are some key things that I learned is that you have to really pay attention. What I found is that you know I was a uh, department head. You know, I had all kinds of career within State Farm, but I was a department head for nine and a half years. And back in 2017 and 18, there was a huge restructure going on within the organization. Like any other large corporation, you take your largest departments, right? IT and auto claims and the whole claims organization, they went through a significant reorganization. The only thing though, was when I got my job offer from the organization, it was one level below what I was doing for nine and a half years. And so I really, that felt like a gut punch for me because I had moved with the organization. I was loyal. I did all these things, led, you know, enterprise initiatives. So it really hurt me when I got that type of an offer. And it wasn't like I had to move or I had, you know, a, like a salary reduction or whatnot. But the stress of trying to get through that process publicly was very difficult. And I think that Ultimately, I had to answer the question for myself, okay, if you stay, no regrets, and you can't be resentful, you have to be 100% in, can you do that? And my answer was no. And so when they gave me an opportunity to say, you can either stay and do this job or take a package, I took the package and I said, I think I'm going to try something else. And I don't know what that something else was until I made the decision two days later, I got a call from one of the State Farm retirees who happened to sit on two different boards, one of them being the Center for Asian Pacific American Women. And also, I've had a tie to this organization because I was a graduate from class of 2001 and 2002. And so she said, what are you doing right now? And I said, I have no idea. And she goes, well, why don't you come over here, step in as an interim ED and figure it out because we just lost our ED and we need the leadership. So that's how the journey began in May of 2018. And the, the irony is, had I gotten the same job offer at the same level, I know myself, I would have stayed safe and I would have stayed. This forced me to do something different and it got me on a path that I am living my passion right now. So it's a big lesson that I learned is sometimes you got to have a kick in the pants in order to be able to do something that's aligned with your passion even more so than previously. That is, that is so great. Uh, you know, when, when you, that happens so often, like it's happened to me a few times where, you know, you're, you're, you think you're doing your best and somebody sees it differently and then you, you know, you get offered a promotion or you're being asked to leave. And it, it's, and it's almost like a huge explosion in your life. Like, oh my goodness. Right. And it's, it almost like it attacks your values, your, you know, like your value of who you are. Um, but you, you know, you evaluated that and then decided, well, you know, I'm not going to stay because I know I can do more. Right. So how, what do you think, uh, what do you, where do you think that comes from to say, uh, this is not what I want. I want to continue. And even though it's scary, right, um, I can do this. So so what is it? What is that I can do this? Where does that part come from? Well, first of all, I was scared. 
I was really scared to do something different because this organization was the only thing I knew. And I had four or five different careers within it. And, you know, one of the things that uh, as an Asian parent, you know, um, my mom always used to focus on things like job security, benefits, upward mobility, and like all these things that are valued, you know, um, in our family, education is highly valued. So when I said I was going to actually go to a nonprofit, she had no idea what that was. And not only that, she was like, what are you talking about? Isn't that a huge pay cut? What is, what are you doing? You should stay. So I got a lot of that kind of pushback. But when I went through the program for the Asian Pacific American Women's Leadership Institute back in 2001 and 2002, it was all about being a whole person leader. Meaning it's not just about career. You have to look at the holistic of the person and say what works for you in totality that includes, you know, mental, physical health, that includes things like your identity and your relationships with others within yourself and community. What are you doing to give back? And, you know, frankly, 95% of what I was doing in my life was work. And I wasn't doing a good job, frankly, of taking care of my health, mentally, physically. I ended up right at the tail end. I ended up getting diabetes and the stress of the work and the work was stressful, you know, because of the, the scale of what we were driving and it was never enough. You know, I could give and give and give. And it was, I realized it was just never enough. So I had to make that decision and take control over changing my whole lifestyle. It wasn't just about the career. It was a lifestyle change that I had to make, but I had to take charge. And I think that's the mistake that I made was that I didn't take charge fast enough. I allowed other people to make decisions on my behalf or push me towards a decision that, you know, I should have taken charge of. And so I have to be my own CEO first. (laughs) (laughs) I like the way you put that. Yeah. So I think that I realized a very difficult lesson because I, you know, mentally, physically, it took a toll. That job took a toll on me because I, I didn't manage it well, number one. And then number two is that I think I was burned out. So I needed something different. So coming into this space was really refreshing. But at the same time, I scared myself because I didn't know anything about a nonprofit or running almost like an entrepreneurship, basically. Right. And so I had to do everything. It's like, who's my IT person? Oh, yeah, that would be me. <laughs> I am the IT person. And so you learn how to survive. And, you know, that was probably the biggest thing is I just had to, you know, put faith in myself that I could do it based on all the skill sets that I've built over the years. And, and how do you, uh, how do you make, so for me, like work, work can easily become an addiction. So I have to put all these rules and boundaries in place for me to make sure that I don't overdo it. And I make, you know, myself a priority first. What have you done to change your approach towards work so that you're not taking what happened in the past that led you to burnout um, today in your new role? Okay. Um, I got to be honest. I don't think I have it completely figured out yet, but what is different is because I have the flexibility in terms of hours, in terms of when I work, how I work, if I need a break, you know, I may have to just schedule a break in the middle of the day, or if I need to do something, you know, I have to go for a walk 
I'll take my dog for a walk and take a break. Where before I was very tied to service levels. I was tied to, you know, because we had very strict hours for service and for customers and for, you know, you have to be in a, you're in a centralized operation. So you can't just leave. You have to plan everything. It's a very planning culture. So this is very organic in comparison to that. And, you know, it, it's me. I have a part-time assistant and a bunch of volunteers and people that I hire and contract to do, you know, teaching of the Unleash the Shiro, you know, in you program, which is our women of color program or the Apali program. So there's more flexibility that I can drive the work that could be good or bad, but I have, <laughs> I can control that. I think that's the difference where I feel like the customer hours really dictated how I worked in the past. That's great. And so, so for your, um, are they customers like the, the people who the center for Asian Pacific American uh, women, 